Welcome to the Tax Girl Podcast, your home for tax news, tax info, and tax policy. In each episode, I'll share conversations about taxes, money, and the choices that we make. I'm your host, Kelly phillips for Tax Girl. I'm a practicing tax attorney, and I work with taxpayers like you every day. There's a lot to talk about, so let's get started. As we emerge from the shadow of the pandemic, hopefully, there's a sense that the economy will be improving, but how much will it improve and how quickly? During the pandemic, those at the top continued to make money while those at the bottom struggled. It's a trend that hasn't gone unnoticed. A recent Pew study found that 61% of Americans say there is too much economic inequality in the country today. And it's clear that there is a racial divide. A 2019 survey of consumer finances found that as of 2016, the last time that data was available, the typical white family had eight times the wealth of the typical black family and five times the wealth of the typical Hispanic family. With that in mind, I wanted to talk about how pending legislation like the stimulus bill could change that. And I'm particularly interested in whether those programs can offer help to low and moderate income and low wealth people and small businesses, especially people and small business leaders of color. And what kind of changes need to be made to the tax code and what kind of programs are available to support those who need the most help? To talk about that, I've invited Rebecca Thompson to the program. Rebecca is the Director of Field Engagement and Taxpayer Opportunity Network of Prosperity Now. Prosperity Now has, since 1979, helped make it possible for millions of people, especially people of color and those of limited incomes, to achieve financial security, stability, and ultimately prosperity. Prior to joining Prosperity Now, Rebecca led VITA coalitions in North Central and Northeast Florida including managing a coalition of tax sites that prepares over 20,000 tax returns in Northeast Florida annually. She was named one of the inaugural members of the Taxpayer Opportunity Network Steering Committee in 2015. Thank you so much for being here, Rebecca. Thank you. It's great to be here with you today, Kelly. So let's talk about kind of the underlying issue first, like this whole idea of economic inequality. You know, it's it's something that, you know, I said in the intro that most Americans agree agree that it exists. So what can we do about it? And I know that's a huge question up front. So, you know, obviously we're not going to solve the world's problems um, today on the podcast, but just generally, what are kind of some of the steps you think that were things that we should be looking at that either led to this kind of inequality that we can address or ways that we can, you know, kind of move the discussion forward about the inequality? Yeah, sure. And thank you so much for the question. And again, it's great to be here with you today and to be chatting with you. I want to take a look at some of the things that we can do to address the economic inequalities. And at Prosperity Now, you know, we are working to build an economy that everyone can fully participate in, regardless of, of their race or ethnicity and throughout their life cycle. And so we, we've thought about this and, and we've come up with a, a few key focus areas where we think that we can really hone in on to address the economic inequalities. And there are some, some corresponding po- policy proposals as well to go along with this. The first one is around supporting minority-owned small businesses. We know that small businesses are employers of almost half of the workforce and really provides about two-thirds of all new jobs are in small businesses. And so we are really 
interested in providing additional support in the way of increased funding to community development financial institutions Mm -hmm. and minority depository institutions, because these two um, organizations or these two streams are the main source of capital for many minority-owned businesses in low-income community. And so we really encourage additional funding for CDFIs and minority depository institutions to really help to support and shore up those small minority-owned businesses. The second thing is around housing and home ownership. It's part of the American dream, you know, and owning a home is is really um, one of the key drivers for creating wealth. And so we really encourage tax credits that would help to encourage and support more housing and home ownership amongst low-income, low-to-moderate-income people, and particularly people of color. These include things like a refundable tax credit created for cost-burden renters, also a refundable tax credit for first-time homeowners, the one that doesn't have to be paid back, and then also maybe something like a a flat post-home purchase tax credit as well. Um, We believe that these are three of the key drivers that will help to increase home ownership among populations of color, people of color. It's interesting that you mentioned home ownership because I read an article a little while back when the stock market was going nuts and people were kind of commenting on why is the stock market still going up when the economy was not. This was a few months ago. And it's interesting because a lot of people always think that wealth is kind of concentrated in things like stocks and and, uh, financial accounts. But there was a study that was done that actually said in America, maybe it's not the case elsewhere, but in in the U.S., that the single most valuable asset that most families have is their home, like much more than financial or other real estate, but also financial accounts and things that, you know, when we talk about wealth, we think stocks and and money, but that home ownership is actually at least in the U.S., the single most valuable asset that most people have. Yes, it is a key asset and one of the main drivers of wealth. And so as we look, you know, our economy and the the situation in our economy, what we know is that the disparities you mentioned earlier are are broad and wide. And a part of that is because home ownership, because of the difference in home ownership among whites and people of color. And so, you know, we have these proposals that will help to boost home ownership for people of color and to help them actually to participate more in the economy and to create wealth. Mm -hmm. A couple other things I wanted to mention was, were around creating a nest egg for every child in the future. And so, you know, we are really strong supporters of the American Opportunity Accounts Act, or what we affectionately call baby bonds, which actually creates a savings account for every child born in America. And we believe that this will help to really close the gap by providing a foundation for people of color, children of color when they're born to help to secure their future down the road. And how do those work? There is a proposal right now, the American Opportunity Accounts Act um, that is in the legislature. And every child would receive a a federal account Mm -hmm. at birth. Okay. And families would have the opportunity to actually contribute to that account over the course of the year, over the course of the the child's life. But it is something that would be guaranteed to them at birth. Oh, cool. And finally, I would say what is key to core to my work is really around supporting low and moderate income working families through Mm -hmm. expanding the earned income tax credit and the child tax credit in the federal tax code. 
And there's been talk about that here, about expanding those credits. Is it going anywhere? Do you anticipate? I know that one of the proposals that was on the table was to kind of do a, it's, it's very retro, but to do an advance of those credits because the the way it works now is that most families, well, not most families, families get those credits when they file their tax returns. But there's been talk about possibly doing an advance credit and then other ways of expanding it. Where do you kind of see that going? Or, you know, are you encouraged? I am encouraged. And I see that we are making significant progress in Congress expansions, both to the child tax credit, as well as the earned income tax credit. Um, the child tax credit, actually, there's a couple of things that are happening. One is that the proposal makes the, the full child tax credit available to all the, all children except those with the highest incomes. And so this is really an opportunity to shore up a gap in the child tax credit where the lower earning families and households actually don't get the full benefit of the credit because it's based on how much income the family earns. So at the in the very lowest bracket, the people who need it most right now actually receive a smaller portion of that child tax credit. And so the effort now is to actually make that credit fully refundable. Along those lines as well, there is some legislation around actually providing the advanced child tax credit payments, like you mentioned. And this is really to help families to smooth their income mm-hmm. throughout the course of the year. So instead of getting, you know, the big refund at tax time, you know, those payments would be made periodically over the course of the year. One concern and one thing to watch out for with that is the payback. So let's suppose that someone gets an advanced child tax credit, you know, based on their last year's return, a parent gets a child tax credit, and maybe that child isn't living with them this year, or, you know, for whatever reason, that child is no longer eligible to be claimed on that parent's return. um, And they've already received that advanced credit. And so that's one of the um, kind of the technical characteristics that we're going to have to work out with mm-hmm. this legislation is what does the payback look like? Because for a, a very low income household, it could be devastating for them to actually have to pay back an advanced child t- tax credit that they received in the previous year mm-hmm. during you know the next filing season. And so that's something definitely to watch out for. There are a couple of ideas and thoughts around capping, putting a cap on the amount that has to be paid back similar to what was done in previous years with the advanced premium tax credit, or even just forgiving, you know, any advance payments altogether. So but there, it is something that we just need to watch out for in the legislation to be sure that the advance payments of the child tax credit don't turn out to be something that's a disastrous for right, right. low-income families. Now with the EITC, there's a couple other things that are happening with the EITC. One is around expanding the credit. One, the value of the credit as well as the people expanding the eligibility for the credit. And so we're looking at bringing the age, the eligible eligibility for the credit down to ages 19 and removing the cap on the other end, whereas right now it's 65. This is something, it's interesting that you said that because I've, I've actually heard people talking about that. They feel like the earned income tax credit, one of the things, one of the populations that has been traditionally ignored when you look at these credits are older people, because a lot of these credits are focused on children, which, you know, makes sense because those families are, are, are struggling to take care of the kids. But that, that means that a lot of older folks are being ignored. So it is interesting to hear that that discussion is moving forward. Yes, it def- definitely is. Yeah. And, and you are absolutely right that quite often we, we do 
overlook the older population who are still working. In this day and time, many are taking care of their grandchildren or great-grandchildren mm-hmm. as well. And so we want to make sure that they are covered as well in this legislation. And the other key pieces around the younger population, those people who are ages 19 to 24, who are working and who aren't full-time students, you know, they presently aren't eligible for the credit. And so we're looking at expanding there as well. And then also the expansion to of the credit to more childless workers. Mm-hmm. There are adults who don't earn a lot and don't have children. And really, you know, single adults are, are, are really the one segment of our population that are being taxed into poverty, taxed further into poverty. poverty. And so we're looking at increasing the value of the earned income tax credit for childless workers so that they aren't being taxed into poverty. And what is the kind of the response that you, I know you said you were hopeful what is the response? Because I know there's, I think one of the, the concerns right now that a lot of the folks I've talked to and who are working in, in various either nonprofit capacities or in pushing for certain kinds of legislative relief, one of the concerns is that we're tired um, as a country. <laughs> we're tired and people are frustrated and the stimulus packages maybe aren't hitting, maybe aren't reaching the people who need them the most. And so there's almost this like relief exhaustion that's kind of out there. Are you, are you, are you hearing that? Or are you still encouraged that you think people are on board with making changes? Because I feel like when I have some of these discussions that the concern is that, especially in Congress, that we've talked so much about who needs help and so many people need help that there's almost this automatic, let's just push out stimulus checks or let's just do that and call it relief because doing the the other things, are it's it's more work, right? And it's hard and people are tired. Are, are you sensing any of that like fatigue or are you still really hopeful that there's you know enough momentum that things need to happen now? Yeah, I'm not sensing the fatigue. I think I think of this more, you know, if you get a cut, this is the difference between a Band-Aid and stitches. Mm-hmm. So the stimulus checks are, are short-term solutions, and they are designed to be a Band-Aid for the pain and suffering that's happening in our economy right now. Mm-hmm. People need help right now. Right. Um, so after we make it through this next round, you know, what I'm really sensing and, and hearing from my colleagues is that we want to focus on after the stimulus. Yes, we need to put a Band-Aid and stop the bleeding right now. But then we also need to have a plan for how we're going to get to the doctor to get stitches, Mm -hmm. stitch this thing up. Um, And so, you know, we're turning our attention towards the recovery package. And that is where a lot of the policies that I mentioned earlier will come into play. Things like additional funding to CDFIs to support, you know, pumping um, resources into black owned and minority owned small businesses. Things like planning for tax credits that will help to support um, home ownership among people of color, um, investing in our children um, and providing that nest egg. And then, of course, you know, making sure that we're expanding the EITC and the child tax credit as well. Um, those are more along the lines of the stitches that are going to help us to heal. So the stimulus, yeah, um, and the packages that are happening right now, we're looking at those as Band-Aids. But we also need to work on the long-term solution as well. 
And I think that long-term solution has been something that has been missing kind of from, from the bigger picture. I had a, a guest on, I mentioned this to you earlier, but I, ha- I had a guest on a few episodes back, Eric Pierre. Um, Eric and I are, we banter on Twitter because he's he's a good guy and has a really interesting perspective. And one of the things that he raised, which is is directly corresponds to something that you just said, is that one of his concerns is that when we do these kinds of relief packages or when we talk about equality, you know, we talk about giving people money, but we don't talk about encouraging ownership. And he was specifically talking about businesses. So it is interesting that that you're saying this because I do think a lot of the packages that we've seen before have been, let's just give grants, right? Let's just give some money to maybe existing businesses, but not helping people get an ownership stake in those businesses, but just kind of to kind of, I guess, help keep moving them along. So this seems like a a change in thinking. And I think a lot of communities will be really excited to hear that the focus is on owning businesses, owning homes, rather than, you know, just continuing to give money, because clearly what was happening wasn't working. Right. Definitely. And And then it's also an opportunity. And I say the other thing that we're finding is that people are watching and they're paying attention and they're listening to what's happening um, and what's being discussed with these relief packages, mm-hmm. with the stimulus checks and with the expansion of that, the child tax credit and even the earned income credit. People are paying attention just like the general public is paying attention. And, and so it is actually an opportunity for us and for people to get engaged. So when they hear things, um, if they hear of discussions of proposals that are particularly of interest to them, or like you mentioned, like Eric said, that there needs to be more of a focus on ownership and home ownership, um, that people actually should take this opportunity to engage with the legislative process. Absolutely. And understand that it is absolutely okay. And it is encouraged for people to actually reach out to their members of Congress and make their voices heard, particularly around the tax credits um, and the legislation that impacts them personally, it is perfectly okay, you know, and I, I would say, you know, it's a part of a civic responsibility to make sure that the people who are representing us understand the issues that are that we're facing and understand how the proposals that are in front of them could either benefit or harm the households in, in that they're representing. Sure. And and kind of taking that a step further. So let's assume that folks get their voices heard, and some of these proposals become law. One of the things that strikes me is that, and I know this is this is the way that our tax system works, but a lot of these proposals, because they are so tax credit dependent, is going to require some education for taxpayers, right? Because some of these, to get the benefit of some of these things, you're going to have to file. And so how how is that messaging going? Is that something that you're hoping that is that going to become IRS's responsibility to explain to like as they do now, sort of with the um, earned income tax credit? You know, they do a re- an outreach every year to remind people that they might be eligible. Is that something you're anticipating the IRS is going to do? Is that going to have to be broader than it is now, or or is this something that you sense that maybe some more organizations will take the lead on? I'm glad you asked. I think that more organizations are actually going to have to participate in this communications and messaging campaign for whatever comes out, as we typically do. Um, So I lead a network of more than 7,000 members, practitioners, volunteers, and stakeholders with the Volunteer Income Tax Assistance, that's the VITA program. 
Um, and so our partners are on the ground in communities across America, and they are working diligently to both help low-income people file their tax returns and also to educate people about the credits that are available and also the resources that are available for them to actually file. So um, yeah, we engage in a massive marketing and communications campaign, particularly one around EITC Awareness Day, which is the last Friday in January. So there's this broad outreach campaign to, to make people aware of the earned income tax credit, who's eligible and how to claim it. And then also most recently, we have partnered, one of our partners, Commonwealth, developed a messaging campaign around the EITC Look Back, which is a provision that came out of the last COVID-19 relief package, late 2020, that allows people to either choose to use their 2019 or their 2020 income for the purposes of claiming the earned income tax credit. I think is I think that's a huge big deal. And, and we wrote about it, but I don't think it got a lot of attention. But I do think you do have families that are, as you mentioned earlier on, you know, earned income tax credit is directly related to your earned income. I know a lot of people like to talk about it as though it's something that people get for not working, but it's actually exactly the opposite. That depends on your wages. And if your wages were lower, then your credit is going to be lower. And so that provision actually allows people to claim more, which is a, a big deal. Um, but I don't think we've heard about it as much as we probably we should. I agree. We haven't heard as much about it as we should. But it and it is a really big deal for folks, particularly now, because so many people were out of work um, and, and are still out of work now due to the 19. And so they were facing lower earned income in 2020. And just the fact that they're able to use their 2019 versus their 2020 earned income to claim this credit will make a difference of, you know, thousands of dollars in tax refund to some families. Exactly. And since you brought it up earlier, I know some of my audience is familiar, but not everybody is familiar with the VITA program. Can you kind of tell people what the VITA program is and who it serves? Sure. So annually, we have about 80,000 IRS certified volunteers. And these are people who go through a training program to learn about tax law and how to prepare returns. And then they go through an IRS certification test to be eligible and able to prepare and file returns for low to moderate income households. Typically, we serve about households who earn $57,000 or less. Our partners at AARP Foundation Tax Aids focus primarily on a senior population, and they actually don't have an income threshold for their services. But the VITA programs are across the country, I mean, in communities across the country right now, working with low-income filers to prepare and file their returns and to do it absolutely for free. I mean, we do this because one, taxes are complex. Mm -hmm. And we know that in order, like we, we talked about before, in order for people to actually get the benefits of these credits that we're talking about that are being discussed in Congress, they actually have to file a tax return. Right. And so because taxes are complex, then they have to file a tax return. Our volunteers are there to help and to do that, to make sure that people actually get all the credits that they're eligible for. And again, that they do it for absolutely free. And I often encourage my fellow tax professionals to volunteer their time because I actually um, helped manage a VITA site in Philadelphia 
for a few years and it was so much fun. We worked at a senior center and the people were so delightful and so grateful for our time. And I think it's always wonderful, especially when they're really smart people who are willing to, because as you, you pointed out, some of these calculations can be quite complicated, especially on the EITC side. And so I think it's wonderful when people can, um, you know, volunteer their time to help other people kind of sort these things out. So I actually found it extremely gratifying to do the volunteer work. So I would encourage other folks to do it as well. Where do you, and I know that you're in Florida, where do you send people who have questions about either volunteering or finding sites? Is there a number that you tell them to call or is there a website or do you just send them the IRS? Like, where do you send them? Typically, generally, I will say I would send them to irs.gov. And, you know, you can Google VITA locator, that's V-I-T-A locator. I also send folks to getyourrefund.org, which is this new and innovative, fully virtual platform um, because, because of COVID. Right. There are just over a hundred VITA partners on the back end of this platform um, with volunteers stationed across America in their homes, most often across America, who are preparing the returns um, that come through that platform. And so that is a great place to go. And they also have a VITA locator um, on that platform, as well as an option for people to do it themselves. So there, yeah, there's a do-it-yourself option as well. Great. And I'll be sure to put a link to that site on the show notes for folks who are interested in finding it. So we we have a, a few more minutes. I just wanted to hear kind of generally, what do you think the direction, you know, we've talked about pending legislation. What do you think would be a next step? Like if let's say that these proposals, especially those that are focused on tax credits for homeownership, and then also the expansion of the EITC and the child tax credit, let's say those happen, do you have a a sense of what might be coming down the road next? Or is it kind of, are are you still in the the kind of in the weeds on on the proposals right now? I think we're kind of in the weeds on these proposals right now. But I think more importantly, what happens next is is this COVID-19 relief package, this next relief package. Mm -hmm. Um, I know that Congress is hoping to get it out in the next couple of weeks, because it does include an important provision that extends unemployment insurance, which is running out. So as Congress is looking to get this done in the next couple of weeks, included in this package will be another round of stimulus payment. So thinking about the what's next is going to be how how does the IRS actually disperse an additional round of stimulus payments in the middle of the filing season? Right. That's something I've heard from folks because, you know, there's the IRS is still processing 2019 returns. So far, they're not extending the 2020 season. So I think there is a lot of concern about what resources might be available. Yes. And so we're concerned about the resources that might be available, what this might look like. Will it cause a disruption to the filing season and what that means for our partners and our programs on the back end who are working in communities, feverishly working in their communities um, to prepare as many returns as they can by April 15th. So, right. so yeah, there, there's a lot in the mix and there's a lot of decisions and a lot that has to happen in the next month before we even, you know, can look forward to implementation of, you know, an expanded child tax credit and EITC as well. Right. Well, thank you so much for this. I think this has really been uh, valuable and especially folks who are looking at ways that they can 
become involved. And you mentioned specifically reaching out to your congressional officials and, and letting your, your voice be heard. Um, if folks wanted to find you or Prosperity Now, either on the web or on social media, where would you send them? I would send them to our homepage, is prosperitynow.org. Mm-hmm. And they can look up and join our Prosperity Now Action Center on Facebook. Okay. And I will make sure I have those links uh, also in the show notes for folks. Sounds great. Well, thank you again for your time. This has been wonderful. I I really do. uh, I think this is something that we need to talk about more. So I really do appreciate your time today. Thanks a lot, Kelly. I'd love to know what you thought of this episode. You can send an email with your feedback to podcast at taxgirl.com. And if you liked it, please share. You can find the audio of each episode at taxgirl.com. You can also subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or your favorite listening app so you never miss an episode. Thanks for listening, because paying taxes is painful, but hearing about them shouldn't have to be.